Good morning. We welcome all gathered here this morning for the Winkler Bursthauer Mennonite Church Worship Hour. A special welcome to guests and all who have come to worship with us and gain insights into God's Word as well as those who will be watching this broadcast later this week. I had the opportunity to spend a little better than a week in, in Argentina a week ago. And uh, as we were leaving, uh, one of the farmers was from Ukraine and he was going back home and facing war and he had four, lost four of his young employees uh, due to the war. Another one of the farmers was there from Turkey and he was going home, thousands of dead in an earthquake. A third fellow from New Zealand was going home to a cyclone where they had, had 300 millimeters of rain and 150 kilometer an hour wind. Argentina was facing a 120 year drought and the people from Nigeria were experiencing corruption to a degree that is unfathomable. So we are blessed and uh, consider it a blessing to be here this morning and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit within us. For an opening passage of scripture, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 16, verses one to three. The preparations of the heart belong to man but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Then, verses seven to nine, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. It is better to let the Lord purpose his divine ways in us than to rely on our own, on our own frail human judgments. Let's pray. Lord, we come before your throne of grace and thank you for being our God and the God of our salvation. We thank you for your faithfulness in carrying us and never leaving or forsaking us. We pray your tenderness, grace, and mercy on those who are going through a valley of life, and that they would experience your nearness and peace as you meet them in their place of need. Lord, you are worthy of our praise and worship, and we pray that our worship would be acceptable to you, O Lord. Lord God, remove any hindrances that could interfere in our worship of you this morning. Open our hearts and minds to hear you and your truths, for we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Jack, you speak in, what's the word, understatements. We don't know our blessings, do we? And to continue in that, we worship a God bigger than we can fathom. We'll start with song number 15, Worship the King. The first line is, Worship the King, all glorious above. I don't know what all glorious means. I can't imagine how big his throne room is. Do you think it's as big as this building? I think it's miles wide. I think those cherubim that stand over the throne are, I can't think that big. Um, he is our shield and defender, yes. The ancient of days, that's an understatement. I mean, he's infinite, there's no days in his existence. Um, this God we worship and who loves us and who gives us the opportunity to return to him even though we have sinned uh, is an understatement. Let's sing, First, uh, sorry, song 15, Worship the King.
Our next song is about his son, Jesus, number 265, My Jesus, I Love Thee. If you can, will you please join me in standing? third song is, These Are the Days of Elijah. There is not a bulletin insert, so we'll read the lyrics from the screen. Thank you. 
Take your bulletins and look at the concerns and activities of the church. Uh, the activities of this week listed on top. Remember the annual membership meeting. I'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, focus on missions. Our missionaries of the week are Preston and Myra Wheeler and GVC Stonehouse. Pray for the leaders of the GVC Stonehouse as they reach out to students in the school. Our annual report books and financial statements are in the foyer. Pick them up after the service. And our annual membership meeting will be held on Tuesday night, uh, the 21st, at 7 p.m. And uh, you can read the rest of that announcement. Also, church membership. If you have been worshiping with us regularly and wish to transfer your membership to Winkler Birch Taller Mennonite Church, please call the church office or see Pastor Victor or Pastor Dean. And baptism membership and uh, receiving into membership will take place next Sunday on the 5th. Jay Fraze and Mackenzie Martins are requesting baptism. Pray for Jay and Mackenzie as they prepare for this important step of faith. Uh, Henry Ham's sister-in-law, Agnes, passed away, and she was the wife of his brother, Abe. So remember to pray for the Ham family. Uh, persons with health needs, Swan Lake Hospital, Mary Duick, John Suderman. And uh, again, we have a prayer request to pray for the leading and direction for our membership meeting on Tuesday. Mary Dick has been transferred to Swan Lake Hospital and is awaiting placement at Salem. And uh, transfer membership, uh, Bob and Heather Dirksen, Gordon McCriff and Nathan McCriff have transferred their membership to Pathway Community Church. Uh, there's also the study in Romans located at Winker Bible Camp. Take a note of that. There's an announcement from the Family Life Committee. Our Family Life Committee is asking for some help. To make the banquet a success, they are looking for some volunteers to help with serving and cleanup. They are looking for two people to help with serving and four people to help with the cleanup. Please call or see Debbie Siemens about, the, about that. I'll ask the ushers to come forward and we'll uh, have the prayer and offering. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our God and giving us access to your throne of grace. You alone are omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, and there is none like you. We thank you for the rich blessings you pour out on your people, for being our inspira inspiration and strong tower of love and peace. Lord, where we have gone astray and sinned, we confess our sin and pray for forgiveness. Draw us to call on your name and commune with you. Lord, we give you our heart, love and obedience, sorrows, trials and hurts, praise, honor, glory, and thanksgiving. Thank you for giving us strength, security, and peace. Lord, we pray for the health needs of Mary Duick and John Suderman at Swan Lake Hospital as well as others within our body and community that need a touch of our Savior's healing. We pray for your protection on the residents and staff at Salem and Taborholm, Eden Mental Health Center, as well as gate resource, Gateway Resources and other local institutions. Also the Ham family, as they be the God of comfort to them as with the loss of a family member and as they mourn. God, we pray for Jay Fraze and Mackenzie Martins as they stake, take a step of obedience in baptism and the next steps in their faith journey. Be their life's guide. Uphold all our missionaries, Preston and Meyer, and help them not to lose sight of the mission to which you have called them. And we pray for the divine protection on their families. We pray for revival and new converts to come and explore the faith. Lord God, would you lead, guide, and direct us in our upcoming membership meeting this coming Tuesday? Would you give us wisdom, discernment, and understanding, and intervene on our behalf? We pray for this week's church activities, that they would bring life into the church and provide teaching and equipping of the saints. Pray for the leaders of GVC Stonehouse as they reach out to students in the school. We pray for a vibrant and effective ministry in the school setting. Lord, we also pray for effective community ministry opportunities as they present themselves this week and that these activity activities would be blessed of you. We pray for your touch and blessing on local ministries like the bunker, the food cupboard, Central Station, 1613 Ministry, City Center Youth, 
Pemina Valley Counseling, the local thrift stores, and other missions as they meet the physical and spiritual needs in our community. Lord God, be the provision to all the people that provide compassionate care and to the people that have understanding and care for the sorrowing among us. Lord, we pray for wisdom, discernment, and leadership abilities for all our elected officials and community leaders that re represent us in all segments of society. We pray that their leadership conduct and decisions would be such that it would bring blessing on our community and our country. We thank you for the gifts, tithes, and offerings that continue to flow into the church coffers. Bless those that give and, and continue to multiply the gifts. For this, we thank you. Lord, we ask your blessing on each participant in this morning's worship service. We thank you for the people in this congregation and their willingness to serve. We ask your anointing on Pastor Dean as he expounds on the topic, the purpose of God's planning. We thank you, Lord, for all you have done and continue to do on our behalf. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. I'm going to sing a song about the battle that takes place on the cross on our behalf, and it's called, It Is Finished. Oh 
Good morning. Today's scripture reading is taken out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 12 and ending at chapter 2, verse 4. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that, as you have understood us in part, you will come, come to understand fully that you can boast of us as we will boast of you in the day of Jesus of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on your way, on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that this in the same breath I say, yes, yes, and no, no. But as surely as the Lord is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by me and by Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it was always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal and ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you, and I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad, but you to whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of head, heart, and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Thank you, Elsie, for reading the scripture for us. And thank you, Pastor Victor, for singing that song, It Is Finished, song written by Bill Gaither. What a powerful song. It is finished. And one day, it will be finished completely when we stand before the Lord, and this time on this earth is over. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, says this, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We certainly live busy lives today. Yet, no matter how hard we work, there, seem, there doesn't seem to be enough time in the day to get everything done. Have you found that to be true? Whether you're working, whether you're retired, or whether you're doing something else, there doesn't seem to be enough time in the day. That's why it's so important to spend time alone with the Lord and to plan to use our time wisely for the kingdom. And we have to pray about that because too often we can just go from one day to another not accomplishing very much at all. Chuck Swindoll, in the, for, in the forward to his book, Intimate Moments, 
with the Savior, writes these reflections about living a hectic lifestyle. And truly, no matter where we are, we live a hectic lifestyle. Just, he says this, Just keeping up with the torrid pace of daily responsibility yields a heart full of worries and only a handful of rewards. Yet strangely, we stay at it, forcing ourselves to deny the exalting toll of such a hurry-up lifestyle take, takes on us. We are reluctant to face the hard facts that being busy is not a satisfactory substitute for being holy. On the contrary, racing through one week after another at breakneck speed leads to a tragic consequences, shallow roots, and superficial fruit. Worst of all, God gets only the leftovers because we formed the bad habit of operating on spiritual empty. We need help. What we really need is periodic moments of refuel and reflect to weigh essential priorities against screaming demands. If we plan to stay strong in the race, the pit stop becomes the pit stops become increasingly more important. But let's be real about it. Life is not suddenly going to slow down and grant us a chunk of free time to recover. As beautiful as a six months sabbatical of calm silence may sound, it isn't going to happen. Meditation marathons are things monks and monasteries may be able to enjoy, but hectic mothers in the kitchen or pressured people in the workplace know get serious. To be painfully realistic, the best most folks can hope for is a few moments a day from which fresh perspective can be gleaned. That won't come from entertaining moments at the movies or from quick moments in the newspaper or boring, st- or boring moments staring at the late night talk shows. What we need first and foremost are intimate moments with the Savior. We need intimate moments with the Savior. Time spent alone with Him, watching His model, listening to his counsel, feeling his touch. We need some way to connect to our temporal world with eternal perspective, close quote. When I read these words, how true this really is. First and foremost, we must get alone to time, spend time with the Lord and to plan with God at the center of him in our lives. This morning, as we continue our series of the messages, Growing Deeper in the Lord, we want to take a look at the purpose of godly planning, the purpose of godly planning. So I ask that you take your Bibles and turn with me once again to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through chapter 2, verse 4. In verses 12 through 4, The first things we learn about the purpose of godly planning is, number one, is for us to be able to reflect God's holiness. For us to be able to reflect God's holiness, verses 12 through 14. Let me read verse 12 for you. Now, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in a holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. What Paul was concerned about was that in all his planning and actions, he and his team would reflect God's holiness, that they would reflect who God really was. So let's define holiness or holy. According to Nelson's new illustrated Bible dictionary, it means this, holy, moral and ethical wholeness or perfection, freedom from moral evil, Holiness is one of the essential elements of God's nature required of his people. Holiness may be rendered sanctification or godliness. And the Hebrew word for holy denotes that which is sanctified 
or set apart for divine service. Everybody who is a believer in Christ is holy. That's why they're called saints. Not saints in being perfect, but being set apart, being set apart for God's work. Now, you might say you're not a pastor, you're not a missionary, you don't even um, work in a top position in the church. Therefore, you may think yourself as not set apart. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're a believer in Christ, you are set apart for his work and for his glory. Not only is holiness a must, but we also must have a clear conscience. Paul says our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationship with you in holiness and sincerity sincerity that are from God. Conscience is the inner part of a person being in agreement when, in what to do right and, and accuses us when we do wrong. Conscience is not God's law. I want to repeat that. Conscience is not God's law, but aligns with the law when God's word is spoken. Conscience is the window of the soul that lets the light in. When it gets smudged and hazy, the light gets dull. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body is full of darkness. If then light, if if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 15 says this, Indeed, when the Gentiles do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience. Yes, that's where the law is written. However, the conscience is never wholly reliable in itself. The conscience is never wholly reliable in itself. But when a person is forgiven and born again, it becomes reliable. However, it can become unreliable when it is not exercised. So it is possible not to exercise our conscience. Paul tells the Corinthians that whenever he acted upon plans, he did so in a clear conscience. With conscience, he did it. He did not do it according to worldly wisdom, but God's grace. In other words, Paul did not base what he was going to do on the world's values. If we do the world's values, we will drift away from God. Because what the world values and what God values are two opposite things on two opposite ends of the spectrum. Here are three examples of reflecting God's holiness in decision making. When we make a decision, the first would be for an example of one of tithing. From the world and business's point of view, it would be ludicrous to give to God or anyone else if you're struggling financially. Why would you do something like that? That's from the world's point of view. Yet God says, give to me the first fruits of your work and I will bless you. Give to me, put me first. And it is a contrast between the world and God. The second example of reflecting God's holiness in our lives is accepting what God gives us without always wanting to know the reason why. Isn't it nice to know the reason why for some things, and yet we are not given the reason why? And it's not wrong to ask for the reason why. But there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who receive things and use them, and those who receive things but always want to take them apart and understand them first before they ever use them. Ever notice that? Two young boys were given walkie-talkies to use. One talked with it and had a great time with it. The second one had to take it apart, 
find how it really worked so he could really appreciate it. But after he had taken it apart, he could not put it together, and he could no longer appreciate what that walkie-talkie could do. Yet the other little boy who just accepted it just away, he enjoyed talking with others, not with his brothers, not with his brother, but with others. So we always don't have to know the reason why. We just have to be obedient and do what God tells us to do. The third picture of reflecting God's holiness in God's planning is that of Mary and Martha. We all know the story well, which is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And this is what that portion says to us. Listen closely. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister have, has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you were worried and upset about so many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. How often do we get distracted from the good things or by the good things in life, but never settle for the best? And the best in this situation was spending time with God. So many times we're distracted with busyness. We go here and there. We got to get things done. People are depending upon us, and we think we have to do it all. And then our time with God gets sacrificed. How often do we make wrong choices when it comes to working or spending time with the Lord? The distraction of food preparation blinded Martha. And everything had to be superlative. What is distracting you and me from spending time with God today? Ask yourself, what is distracting us from spending time with God today? As we plan, we must not be so rigid that when the Lord wants to speak, we're too busy to listen. We have our plans. We have the things we got to get done. And when the Lord speaks, we put him on hold and not ourselves. So as we can see, the purpose of godly planning, number one, is for us to be able to reflect God's holiness. That's what it is, the first part, to reflect God's holiness. And the second purpose of godly planning is number two, is to encourage others to further growth, verses 15 through 20. The purpose of godly planning is to encourage others on to further growth. Listen to how the Apostle Paul was encouraging the Corinthians on to further growth. Verse 15 says this, because I was confident of this. I plan to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I plan to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned... This, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it was always yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by the glory of God. 
Now it is God who makes both of us. You stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So in short, here is what is taking place in this whole portion of scripture that I'm bringing to you this morning. This is how verses 12 and verse 14, which was just previous in the first point, related, relates to verses 15 through 22. In verses 12 and 14, Paul defends his team's ministry in saying, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relation with you, relations with you, in holiness and sincerity that are from God. Paul says this because he told the Corinthians in his first letter, if you would go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 5 through 7, that he, that he and his companions would visit them twice. That's what he said. But they only made it to them once. So now they were criticizing him. The Corinthians were criticizing him because he was or they thought he was changing his yes to no. He told them, I'm going to come. I'm going to come to you twice. But he only came once. And now they figure he changed his mind. Paul says in verse, six, uh, verse 17, when I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes and no? Paul's question is to make them see that he does not plan as the world plans, but instead he did this for their benefit. They're good. We find out that the following verses um, next point this out. There is no question that Paul had others on his mind all the time. The Lord had called him to preach the Gospels, so he made it his goal. The Corinthian church was one of the churches that he planted, and he was going to go and minister to them, and he was ministering to them. Paul's desire was to encourage and build others up in the Lord, and that's what he was doing now. As we can see so far, the purpose of godly planning first is for us to be able to reflect God's holiness. Second, is to encourage others on to further growth. And third, the purpose of godly planning is number three, is to deal with problems in a loving way. The purpose of godly, prob uh, godly planning is to deal with problems in a loving way. Verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 4. Let me read that passage for you one more time. I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. That's the reason why he did not come the second time. I call, let me read that one more time. I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of my heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depths of my love for you. During the apostles' travel, during Paul's travel, 
He could not fulfill the plans of two visits he had for the Corinthians. One of the reasons is indicated in verse 23 uh, that I read. Paul says, it was to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. It was to spare you. Instead, he sent Titus ahead of him with a harsh letter. That was the first letter that was sent. If there was any church that Paul grieved over, it was the Corinthian church. It was the Corinthian church because they had tolerated sin in their midst. That's why he wrote the first letter to the Corinthians reprimanding them. Now think for a moment. If you were a parent and your child was now growing up and growing astray, how would you choose to help them to get back on the right path? What would you do? What would you say? And when would you do it? Sometimes it's better not to see them because it will only mean more friction and grief. Yes, that is true. In a former church that I pastored, one man had a married son who wanted nothing to do with God. His father went to him a number of times, tried to talk with him. Any time that he'd bring up the subject of getting right with God or anything about the church, his son would be offended and would want to hear nothing about it. His father was so concerned about him and his travels that he even spoke to me. He spoke to me saying, maybe perhaps you could go and talk with him and maybe say some things that would change his heart around. That's similar to what the Apostle Paul is doing by sending this letter along with Titus in his hand to the Corinthians the first time round. Paul was very concerned about the church, and he loved them dearly. He loved them dearly. There is only one way for Paul to deal with this situation, and that is to share his very heart in the letter. It's to share his very heart in the letter. In the, in the society in which Paul lived, people who were in authority over others were very harsh to those who were the subordinates. Anybody underneath you, you could deal with them as you felt. And if you put the pressure on them, that was okay. And Paul saw it differently. He had to deal differently with them. This is not the road that Paul was going to be taking. He wanted to clarify that although this church had not been walking in light of the gospel that had been given to them, he does not want to lord it over them. He didn't want to come and just pounce upon them. He points out to them that they are his co-workers and that his work with them is for their joy. The reason for Paul's first letter to the Corinthians was to correct the problems that were going on in the church. In, the le- in that letter, he points out in chapter 5 that they were living an immoral lifestyle, and Paul was praying that this was going to be corrected. This way, when he came to them, he would not be grieving anymore, but he would be found joyful because they had changed and their lives were changed. In the last verse of our text today, he tells them about his great distress and anguish of heart and how much he loved them. He tells them that he loves them incredibly because he is, they were a church that he planted. And of course, this was what God called them to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, the last verse says this, For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depths of my love. That's why he did not come the second time to them. He could not force them to do what was right. He would not force them, but he would show them that he loved them. So as we conclude this morning, there are three things in planning what we can do. And this is how we can apply them to our lives. 
The purpose of godly planning, number one, is for us to be able to reflect God's holiness. That's why we plan. We plan so we will be reflecting what God is like. We are fallible people. We will make mistakes. We will fall. We will sin. We need to come back to the Lord. God is holy, and he calls us to be holy. No, we are not perfect, but we need to bathe everything we do in prayer as we plan. We need to bathe it in prayer. As you plan your days and future events, start bathing everything in prayer. Do we really pray before we put things down on the list of the things what need to be done? Have we prayed about it? Have we sought God? Second, the purpose of godly planning is in to encourage others on to further growth. That's why we pray. That's why we plan to encourage others on to further growth. As you plan, ask yourself, is what I'm going to do and say bring encouragement to others to grow in their faith? And we should make that one of our goals, to do that as we plan. Finally, the purpose of godly planning is to deal with problems in a loving way. It is to deal with problems in a loving way. There will be new problems every day. We only come over one hump and there's another one. Another one. Haven't you noticed that? It just seems there's no end to them. And sometimes we get victory and right away there's another rope that we have to jump. Paul not only tried to deal with the issues, but also told them how much he loved them in this letter. Did you notice that? He told them how much he loved them. So have we told others that we love them? Have you told others that you love them? This week, as we plan to solve some problems with others, Let's tell them how special they are and that we love them if it's appropriate. But people sometimes don't know that we really love them. And as believers in Christ, the scriptures tell us, they will know you are my disciples, Jesus said, by the way we love one another. And let us tell others when it comes to dealing with anything how much we love them so that we can move on and do what God is calling us to do. May these three points be evident in your life as we plan our days. Our closing hymn today, we'll sing number 527. We praise thee, O God. We'll sing the first four verses, and then, um, Dean, if you'll close us in prayer. Appreciate that, and then we'll sing the last verse. And let us rise to sing.
as we plan. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Heavenly Father, thank you once again that as we come before you, we can bring all things into your presence and we can lay them at your feet. Lord, we know that you work through us. We also know that you answer prayer because you want to commune with us. And part of that prayer is finding your will and doing that. I pray, Father, that we would do that in all of our planning, that we would be laying everything at your feet so that your will will be done, you will be glorified, and we will have fellowship with you. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.